Hello, welcome back to Adorned Podcast. We are on episode 76, and today we are going to cover the rest of Matthew 5. Hi, friends, and welcome to the Adorned Podcast. We're your hosts, Erin and Casey. We would love for you to come join us each week as we discuss what it means to be made beautiful by God's Word. Whether you are a college student walking to class, a mom folding laundry during nap time, or a boss babe sitting in rush hour traffic, we hope that we can encourage and inspire you to pursue a deeper understanding of the Bible. Okay, Casey, so last week we talked a lot, and the week before, we talked a lot about um, Jesus calling us to be aware. You know, we saw it through when he was first calling his disciples that they were aware and they were open to hearing what God had to say and willing to follow him. And we talked about um, when we were talking about the Beatitudes of what it looks like to show mercy. We need to be aware of those who need mercy. So has there been anywhere recently where the Lord has really just been opening your eyes to awareness of things that you were not aware of? Yeah. So I feel like in a few different ways, really over the past Six to nine months, I feel like God's really been opening our eyes as a family to um, being more aware of our surroundings in terms of our community and the city and just um, the people around us that maybe aren't in our immediate, like, our immediate church bubble, so to speak, you know, looking at the people that, that are craving, um, love in some form or another, they don't know, um, exactly what they're looking for. They just know they need love and they're searching for it in all sorts of different ways. And they just need to know who Jesus is. They do. Um, and, a lot of those people are people that normally we would just walk by and maybe not even say hi to, but we've just been a lot more aware of like really engaging with people, looking them in the eye and carrying on a conversation, asking them how their day is, um, and just getting to know people, even if it's for, you know, 10 minutes out of the day, you never know what your conversation, how your conversation is going to impact that person. Um, and another way that awareness has been kind of on my mind is just the whole cell phone thing. And I've been horrible at it. I've not been doing a good job, but the Lord keeps convicting me to look up, look up, look around you. And Aaron kind of talked about that on the, on the last episode, but just, um, how am I supposed to be aware of my surroundings if my nose is buried in my phone all the time? And that, difficult for um what we do with um with our ministry because a lot of that ministry is behind the screen of a phone it really is um and so I feel like I'm doing good things you know posting on social media and engaging with people on the internet but um I'm doing a disservice to myself and to the people in my community by not looking up and in really engaging in what's going on around me so those are just some ways that awareness has kind of been on my heart recently that's really good we have these little um conversation cards that we do with the girls at breakfast and lunch and anytime we're just sitting at the table when we're doing school whatever the girls love them we've got them from a couple different places but recently one they keep I let them pick whichever one they want and they keep coming back to this one it talks about God's love and how to and then on the back it has a bible verse on the front and the back and it has like two practical questions and one of the questions is how can you show someone's God's love today mm-hmm. and the girls they always like th- really think about that and they have a hard time coming up with stuff and recently they've been saying just smile at people yes and oh, so I'm like that's, that's so exactly what you're talking about yes, is sometimes exactly that it's such a simple thing mm-hmm. that we're 
just not aware of mm-hmm. like when someone looks at you smile at them yeah. and so then at the end of the day instead of saying what can you do we talk about what did you do today that showed people god love and you know That's they th- yesterday they were like well when we went to the gym i saw uh, miss nancy and i smiled at her and i waved and i said hi and i was like yes you're getting it let's start and that there. probably made miss nancy feel so good yeah i had kind of an awkward moment at the dentist this morning this guy <laughs> came in i was sitting in the in the waiting room and this guy came in and he sat down and he just kind of said hi and sat and sat down but I like insisted on like making eye contact with him and I like smiled and asked him how his day was going and I could tell it took him off guard Mm -hmm. and but then when he realized I wasn't a creepster like I could tell it like it made him feel good you know it's probably easier when you're a girl versus a guy like so I could see how like that could come off a little creepy sometimes yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) but seriously like I just I kind of stopped and thought about that and I was like he just assumed that I wasn't even going to talk to him and I'm like that's sad that that especially I mean in the south people are super friendly here compared to some other places and even in the south it's gotten to where you just expect people to like stay in their own little bubble and not talk to you and Mm -hmm. that's sad like we're meant for community so yeah yeah all right let's jump in and pick up where we left off if you listened last week or if you didn't I will let you know that we ended um at verse 12 and we finished out the Beatitudes which is the first section of the Sermon on the Mount we're going to continue into the second section of the Sermon on the Mount today and then next week we'll pick up with chapter six and continue on the um this journey of the Sermon on the Mount. So starting in verse 11, we'll go, oh no, sorry, we already did 11. 13. 13. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. It's so funny when I was like reading this to the girls, they're like, we're salt, mom? Like (laughs) it was just like so, such a strange analogy to them that they just couldn't understand. So can you kind of break down what you think that means? Have you ever tasted your sweat? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I have this like bougie salt that I got. It's like... It's so ridiculous. Taylor couldn't believe I bought this. But it's supposed to be like really good oh, for you. I forgot about that. You told me about this. <laughs> this mineral salt. It's so dumb, you guys. <laughs> and so they they like really like salt. So they were like, but how am I salt? Yeah, and so yeah. can you, can you kind of help us understand what that means? Yeah. So back in the day, salt was used as a preservative. Um, so this could be an analogy using us as salt to act as a preservative and we can help prevent the spread of sin because that's mm. what salt did. Salt helped prevent the spread of decay. That's really cool. I've n- literally never heard that before. Thank you, Jen Wilkin. That's <laughs> who taught that to me. No, I've, I've heard it other places too. I've never heard it like but that. yeah, that's what like um like beef jerky and stuff like that. Like that's yeah, how yeah. it started. They would like I don't I don't know the whole process, but somehow <laughs> this is like a lesson in pack making it, beef jerky. <laughs> pack it and salt. I mean, you can't have beef jerky anyway. Chicken jerky or whatever. <laughs> turkey jerky. There we go. Um, mm, turkey jerky is really good. <laughs> you actually. like pack it in salt or whatever, and it like. It, it prevents it from going bad. Yeah. And so that's how they preserve their food. So we can think of it that way. We are supposed to prevent the spread of mm. sin. And another thing you can think of it um, is if you get salt in a wound, Ooh. how does that feel like that? Ooh hurt bad and so um sometimes as the bearers of of truth we can sting a little all our saltiness stings a little but ultimately it's ultimately and that's where that term kind of comes from i think ultimately that um does salt help even though it stings so it does it does 
because it prevents decay. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so it's good for the wound. And you think about, um, mm. this is all my nursing stuff coming out, but we use like a saline solution. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that's a saltwater solution. Uh. And so... It helps. It it helps like sanitize and heal mm. and prevent decay and keep the bad out. But it stings. That's really cool. It stings. Yeah. yeah. And so people aren't always going to be mm. super accepting of what we have to say. I mean, if you think about that, that's so true of the gospel, right? Like the first part of the gospel is oh, accepting that you are a sinner. Yes. So that's kind of a little mm-hmm. zinger yeah. there. Yeah. But then... The more saturated you become in the gospel, the less that sin is able to trickle into other areas yeah. of your life. Yeah. And you can also think of it, a lot of times the analogy you hear is, is salt makes things taste good and you want to make, you know, you want to, <laughs> you want to bring Spice flavor. <laughs> yeah. You kind of hear that analogy some, and you can use that analogy, but Jen said she, she thinks that what they're really referring to is salt as a preservative. That's cool. I like that a lot. Yeah. I really like that. Okay, so verses 14, 15, and 16. Remember, this is some of my favorite part mm-hmm. of the Bible. Okay, so it says, You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Which, I mean, first thing we can point out is this is basically why we did that whole series we just did about how to live a life that gives glory to God. And and this says, live a life so they may see your good works, not for your glory, but for the glory for God in heaven. And I was listening to um, uh, a sermon by my main man, Sinclair. We're on a first name basis. Just kidding. (laughs) I did tell Taylor, though, if he ever comes to America, that he better take me to see him because... That would be really exciting to me. Something next summer. Well, he's at all the Ligonier stuff, but like there's a Ligonier cruise. cruise. Oh my gosh. (laughs) I want to go. Okay. We'll quit geeking out. (laughs) Okay. So what Sinclair, he talks about how it's really difficult for us to grasp this whole, you are the light of the world because it's been used in different ways. And because we don't really understand darkness, like you, even if you go out and you go camping or you go wherever and you, you just step outside, like there's a hum of light. anywhere. Oh, yeah. And yeah. if there's not, you just pick up your phone and you use it as a flashlight or, yeah. you know, you turn on your car and use the headlights. So we don't, we can't fully grasp the fear and the severity of darkness right. like people could during that time. Yeah. The other reason I think we have a hard time grasping this is because that a city on a hill cannot be hidden. Like that passage was used. This is my major history. We're, we're, we're relying back on our college degrees here. We are. <laughs> <laughs> but this was used a lot speaking specifically of like coming to America. Like America is going to be the city on the hill. Oh, and, that's And not to like... I love America. I'm a very patriotic person, so don't mishear me. But that that passage was used for a different purpose than it was than it was intended for. And so I think sometimes we bring that baggage yeah. when we come to the scripture. And what he's reminding us of, um, what Sinclair is reminding us of in this this passage is that a couple things. The, my favorite analogy he gave was he was talking about he's from Scotland so if you haven't listened to him you want to <laughs> but he has this cool thick accent but he was saying he was asking the people in the room he was like I am I speaking the same language as you and everyone's like yes he's like I'm saying the same words as you yes what what's different then 
and he has an accent. So the difference is his accent. And he said, this is our struggle today right now, because there is this, um, mantra in our culture to be a good person, be a good person. So let people see your good works. Like, you know, let your light shine. And, and we hear that over and over again outside of the church as well as inside of the church. And so there's this idea of, well, everyone's trying to be a good person. And so you can look at your neighbor who's maybe not a Christian, but they serve at the jail and they feed the homeless and they do all of these good things, which is great. But we have to remember that what makes us different and what makes us a light is that the reason that we're doing it. So he's saying, like, I'm speaking the same language, so we may be speaking the same language as our neighbor and doing the right thing, but the thing that sets us apart is why we're doing it. So, like, the thing that sets him apart is that he has this accent. Right. So it's like we have to have an accent when we're serving, when we're doing these good Mm -hmm. works, and that accent is any language that we revolve around the good works that we're doing Mm -hmm. all is because of Jesus. Jesus. Yeah. And so... I just thought that was a helpful analogy is that because it is, it can be disheartening to think I'm really trying to serve the Lord and I'm trying to do these things. I'm trying to serve, you know, the underprivileged and that kind of thing. But I look around, I see other people doing it too. And so people don't know that it's for Jesus. And, Mm -hmm. and, but that's, I think just like he said, like creating language around it and using it as a chance to Mm -hmm. talk about Jesus um, and not have it be about getting glory for yourself at all is where we'll really see a difference in, shining that light for for the kingdom it's good so one thing about light is something Aaron already referred to and it reveals what is hidden but um I liked this too thinking about how it causes things to grow without light you Mm. wouldn't the grass wouldn't grow flowers wouldn't grow they have to have light to grow um so I like that too yeah that's a good point I I hadn't thought about that before until I heard it yeah Okay, so verse 17, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've come, I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So first, the law was referring to the entire Old Testament. So I think that's important to say because when I hear law, I automatically think like Ten Ten Commandments. Commandments. Yeah, Yeah, but it was referring to the whole Old Testament. And then they would have felt like being more righteous than the scribes and Pharisees was impossible. Like think of like Aaron, Mm. like Sinclair or like, (laughs) you know, think of the person that you hold in really high regard and you think, wow, they know a lot about the Bible. They're really living a righteous life. Mm -hmm. Like these things, that's what they thought about the scribes and Pharisees. So when they heard Jesus say that they would have been like whoa like that that feels so impossible but the thing is the scribes and pharisees they were they were just teaching um external obedience and they weren't talking about any of the heart issues Mm. and the other thing that they were focusing on a lot was like the bare minimum Mm. and it makes me think about how like um when you're I think we've used this analogy before but like when you're dating and your parents say like don't go in the room and shut the door and you're like okay so you go in the room with your boyfriend or whatever and you like crack the door and well it's not shut all the way you know you're like pushing the limits or like when you're a kid and you tell your kid like you can have two chips and they like 
go ahead and grab five anyway. You know, it's just like pushing those boundaries. Yeah. And so that's what these Pharisees were, were doing. And we're about to see Jesus really address this and say, like, this is what the law says. But it's about so much more than mm-hmm. just following the rules. It's about this underneath um your this uh sorry the desires of your heart that's really what it's about and so we're about to see this over and over i think that's really helpful because we tend to either go one of two ways we're like when we're talking about so there's these different beliefs on the sermon amount some people think it's unattainable and Uh some people think it's a standard for us to live towards so i think we either fall either in one of those camps and then we if we fall no matter which camp we fall into we might look at this and say oh this is I can do this and I'm going to do it and I'm going to follow the rules and it doesn't matter what it costs. It doesn't matter my intentions. It doesn't matter my yeah, heart. I'm yeah. just going to check the boxes. And that's where the scribes and Pharisees and that's, were. Yeah, yeah. So he's addressing that. But I think also the fact that he's talking about the don't think that I've come to abolish the law. I think that's really helpful too, because then if you're on the other side of what you think the purpose of the Sermon on the Mount mm-hmm. is, you might be thinking, well, that's not attainable anyway. Yes. And Jesus is yes. saying, no, that's not what mm-hmm. I'm saying. I'm not mm-hmm. saying you don't have to live towards this. Mm-hmm. I am saying you should live your life for this, towards this, this standard that yes. I am coming to fulfill mm-hmm. on your behalf so that I can help you and send you a helper that will help you to follow and live this way. Right. And these are the reasons. Yes. The, the reason for these laws is to point you towards me. Yes. It's not so you can check off these boxes. Right. It's to point you towards me. Right. All right. So verses 21 through 26. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council and whoever, Whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you're offering your gift at the altar and there, remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your gift there before the altar and go first be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going out, going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly, I say to you. You will never get out until you have paid the last penny. So there's a lot here and Mm -hmm. it seems very like in your face intense. So this is where, like we talked about on the last episode, we're going to see some of these literature, literary elements coming into place. The first one is hyperbole. And if you don't know what that means, it's just an exaggerated illustration used to get your point across. Um, And the other thing that I want to address is that anger itself is not a sin. Anger is a negative emotion in response to being threatened. That's what Jen Wilkins said. But um, the problem is when it progresses. um, And we talked about this way back in Genesis Mm -hmm. with um, Cain and Abel. But the problem is when we hang on to it and when we love it. And Jen said when you snuggle up to it. (laughs) Jonathan thought that was funny. He was listening. He was like, that's funny. Anger can then lead to contempt, which then leads to other things. Mm-hmm. So it's like you've got to recognize, oh, I'm feeling this. And then you've got to do something about it right then. And then. like you've got to put a stop to it. Mm-hmm. It's when you sit in that anger, when you let it boil, 
burn and boil, um, that's when bad things happen. And if anger didn't fester, then murder would never happen. Mm. So we need to get to the root of the problem. And the root of the problem in this case is anger. And so we're, Jesus is changing, like we talked about a minute ago, that question from, okay, what can I get away with mm-hmm. to what do I need to flee from? Yeah. How, how can I see what's going on in my life that's bad that I need to run as far away from as I possibly can. So that's what he's addressing here. That's a really good reminder because I think when we see hyperbole, sometimes we're like, well, that's silly. I don't have to listen to it. But there is truth to it. Mm -hmm. Just because it's, um, like you said, an exaggerated illustration doesn't mean that it's not worthy of right obeying right like he's not saying yeah yeah, I mean he's not saying that if you're angry with someone you might as well stab him in the back that's not what he's saying but he is saying that festered anger is what leads to murder right it is right not every time thank goodness but (laughs) if we didn't have that anger that we sat in then Mm -hmm. then we wouldn't have a problem with murder and I like how you're saying he's like he's breaking it down here's what you think you're struggling with, but let's take it another layer yeah. and another layer yeah. and see where this is coming from. Instead of just putting a band aid on the wanting to yes. murder someone, mm-hmm. let's get to what the real issue yeah. is. Yeah. All right. Verse 27 to 30. You have heard that it was said, You shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body go to hell. There is a lot of tearing out and cutting off and throwing away in this verse. <laughs> it's a lot. So do you think this is hyperbole? Um, maybe. Possibly. <laughs> it is. I mean, you it have is. two eyes and two arms, so I'm assuming <laughs> yes. that you think this is hyperbole. I've never lusted, Aaron. Come on. <laughs> no. So um, once again, it's very similar to the anger and the murder. If there was no indulging in our lust, then there would be no adultery. Um, once again, it's about our intentions. And Jesus is just showing us that we should be willing to take radical measures to avoid sin. Like mm-hmm. he's not really saying we need to take all these body parts off, but he's using this as a radical example mm-hmm. to catch people's attention and to say, this is serious business. And once again, quit asking how close you can get to the yeah. sin. Yeah. Stop it from the beginning. And as I was reading through this, it made me think about um, Genesis three. We talked about this a whole lot all throughout Genesis. And now we're seeing the same theme all throughout scripture where we see sin, like we see these, um, these desires, these sinful desires, mm-hmm. and we fix our eyes on them. And the more we fix our eyes on them, that's what leads to these sinful actions or unhealthy actions. Just like Eve, she saw the fruit and decided she wanted it and she acted on that. Mm -hmm. And so like we've talked about before, like we need to stop it. Like it's one thing to notice and to see, but then what are we going to do after we see that? It's, it's okay to look at a, um, another man or a woman and say, oh, he's, he's, handsome or she's pretty like that's not that's not the sin the sin is 
how much further are you going to take that? Are you going to dwell on it? Are you going to indulge these thoughts and these desires? Or are you going to flee from it and go that other direction? I think it's like this one in particular is a really good kind of reflection point because you might go, oh, well, I'm not going to commit adultery or I'm not going to lust or like those are really big, intense words. But those are things that are like a slow fade. Oh, yeah. And it starts with guarding your eyes. And we've Mm -hmm. been talking a lot about this with my kids, like you need to now that they're starting to read, especially yeah. because they just want to read everything and look at everything. And like, we need to be very intentional and guarding our eyes. And I think we're not called to not look at anything. Exactly. Right? We're yeah. not called to take our eyes out literally. But one thing that we can do is we can say, what is causing me to think thoughts I shouldn't think? Or is this TV show or is, you know, watching this, whatever it is. I mean, I can't think of a specific example, but maybe this is ringing in for somebody, but where you're just like, okay, when I watch this, then I start to think of this and then I compare my marriage to this or I compare whatever it is can really be a slow fade that you might not recognize. And what this is reminding us is that, no, you have to stop it right where it's at, like Casey's saying, and it's it's worth it to stop it. Even if it feels like a sacrifice, like, Oh, well, all my other friends are watching this or everybody's doing this, but it's worth it for you to have that small sacrifice, like one less eye or, you know, um, (laughs) in order to save your whole body from hell. Like he's saying, and and we're not saying if you struggle with this, that you're going to hell, like that's not what we're saying, but it is worth the, the, the reflection point of, Hey, is this somewhere where I can really ask the Lord, like, what can I do to prevent this? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's good. Verse 30 and 32, 31 and 32. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. This is a tough one. This is a really tough one. Um, and so at the time it was believed that a man should be able to just divorce his wife for anything. And Mm -hmm. so this was Jesus pushing back on this low view of marriage saying, you've made a commitment. Like this is a covenant. And just because she didn't cook the right meal tonight (laughs) doesn't mean that you can divorce her. I would be in so much trouble if that was the case. (laughs) (laughs) because I don't cook very often anymore. Um, But marriage is given by God. And so therefore we need to hold it in high regard. And so that's what Jesus is saying here. And so I like, once again, how Jen Wilkin, and we'll put a link to this specific teaching of hers because it was just so good. And so most of the stuff I'm using, um, I got from her, but she said there are many times that, um, or there are some times that the marriage covenant has been so defiled that it doesn't bear any resemblance to the relationship between Christ and the church. And so it is um, God's mercy and Jesus is giving mercy here and saying that it's okay to dissolve it in those circumstances. So they are giving room to uh, for that and saying like, if if this marriage does not um, show us the beautiful picture of Christ in the church, then then there are times um, that divorce is okay. But Jesus is saying like, you have made a covenant. You've made a covenant under um, my father and you need to take it serious. Mm -hmm. And so that's just this high view of marriage. Anything else to add to that? No, I just think we need a higher view of marriage now. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) I mean, we've done several episodes on marriage and it's something that we're very passionate about and we believe is a, a picture of Christ in the church. And it's something to be taken very, very seriously. And so go back and listen to those episodes if, if you want more of our thoughts on that, but Yeah. yeah. 
All right, 33 through 37. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven or for for it is the throne of God or by the earth, for it is his footstool or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say simply be yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. Yeah. So this is once again, just saying um, we should do what we're going to, what we say we're going to do. And if we, if we actually follow through with what we said, then we would need oaths. Like mm-hmm. if we were just true to our word to begin with, then it wouldn't even be a thing. And so, yeah, instead of asking how lightly can I use my words, just just be true to your words. Yeah, yeah. it's so funny. We were just talking about this the other day yeah. because with your mom. Yeah, because I I was taught this like from birth. This was a big thing. My parents drain drained, not drained. Drilled into drilled. Us. Yeah, I was like, "Where's the word? Like, Where's the word?" The word? <laughs> um, because they they have a very high view of like commitment and honoring your word. And I mean, even to the point we were laughing about this, but even to the point where it's like, if we were playing a board game as a family and we were like, "Yeah, I want to play," you couldn't quit the board game. Like if we started playing Uno, you were in. If you said yes, you were in. And so my parents very very much taught us this, but I think culture at large is not oh, taught no. this at all anymore. No. And I think it's really, really God's grace to us that this kind of stuff is included. So we're like, we walk through the Beatitudes and we're like, okay, there's these like promises about this upside down kingdom. And, and now we're going into these like big hyperbole type things. And God's talked about marriage or divorce more specifically. He's talked about anger. He's talked about murder. Now we're talking about promises. Like why are these the specific things that we're talking about? And it's funny how similar it must have been then to how it is now, because yeah. this is a word that people need now. Like mm-hmm. let your yes be yes. a yes, yes and let your no be a no. And so mm-hmm. I think as we're going through these, some of them, you know, you might be like, okay, but then some of them, the Lord might, might give you just like mm-hmm. a holy dose of conviction and, and listen to that. And if, you know, whether it's lust or whether it's anger or whether it's this one about your oaths or as we continue to go on loving your enemies and those kind of things, like really just ask the Lord, like highlight somewhere where I can learn more about this. And we're a big fan of like using scripture to interpret scripture. So if you're like, is there more examples of this in the Bible? Like use your Bible and see where else God talks about like being a man of your word or a woman of your Mm -hmm. word and, and being honest and being truthful and like maybe use those as keywords and look up other texts about this to really understand like this is a big deal. Mm -hmm. And if Jesus is saying this to his disciples in this sermon on the Mount where he's telling them how to live, then we as disciples really need to listen to this as well. Yeah, I agree. I agree with all of that. And I think that one thing that stood out to me while you were talking was when you said, let your yes be yes and your no be no. I think so many times we say yes too much. Uh We don't think we don't, um, use wisdom and discernment when we're making decisions and so we're so quick to just say I don't want to be left out yes or (laughs) I you know sure that sounds really really good you didn't even look at your calendar and you have 10 other things planned that day so I think that that just that just goes back to like 
thinking before you speak, you know, like, because then the person that you're saying yes to, when you have to come back the next day and say, well, actually, then that's not, that's not fair for them because now they're having to find someone else or whatever Mm -hmm. it is. So just, just think before you speak, be wise in what you tell people. And then, um, you can stay more true to your word that way. And I struggle with that. I'm a yes person. And I have really, really, really worked on that. And it pains me to say no. I just did it with Katie last week. She asked me to do something and I typed in yes. And then I went back and I was like, it has to be a no this time. Mm -hmm. And it's hard. It's so hard. But um, it's better. It's better that way. Yep. That's good. Okay, so moving on to verse um, 38. You have heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. If anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go a mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Okay, we hear this a lot, don't we? An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. <laughs> so it's saying when someone insults you, just walk away. Like you don't have to turn around and do the same to them. Um, go above and beyond what's being asked of you. This all has to do with a bunch of like legal jargon, like something about tunics and mm-hmm. miles and I don't know, Jen explained it, but it kind of all went over my head. But <laughs> <laughs> but Instead of asking, once again, what's the least I can do? Okay, like, they asked me to go one mile. Sure, I'll go one. No, you say, I will go two miles with Mm -hmm. you. Like, go above and beyond for other people, even if they're against you, even if they're your enemy, even if they're someone you don't get along with. Like, go above and beyond for people is basically what Jesus is saying here. Do you have anything else? I think for this one, like, the thing that the Lord kept putting on my heart for this one was that in order to do this, you really, really have to trust that God is good and that God is sovereign. Yes. Because mm-hmm. so much of us is like, justice, like I need to enact justice and justice is in my hands. And I think if we're like, if we're looking at this, you have to take it back to the issue of like, do I trust that God, not like this karma thing, like bad will come to them when they get right, it. But do we right. really trust that God is in control and that God wants what's good for us and what brings him the most glory. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that's turning the other cheek or sometimes that's going the extra mile or whatever that looks like. But that has to come from a place of not look at me. I'm forgiving of you or look at me. I'm going to go the Mm -hmm. extra mile with you. But instead of being like, God is good and God is worthy of my trust and that he holds all of this in his hands. And then it's easier to say, you know what? I don't have to get revenge for myself. Mm-hmm. I don't have to get justice for myself because I know that God is, you know, using this one to sanctify me to be more like Jesus because Jesus had to walk through many of these things. I, I mean, I don't think he was sued for his tunic, but you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And I don't think yeah. I'll ever be sued for my tunic, <laughs> but I think you know, like the, the big picture is to remind ourselves like God is good and he, he can handle all of this and it's not outside of his control. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's good. And I think this really goes along with what we've talked about a lot about staying in your lane. And I tell my kids this a lot. I'm like, because they're 
Lydia did this or Cadence did this or Juliana did this. And it's constantly, they're constantly worried about the other person. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, worry about yourself. Like do what you know is right and good. And so if we focus on that, not focus on ourselves, not be selfish about things, but do what we know God wants from us. Mm -hmm. And we stay in our own lane and we don't care about what this person is doing over here. We say, it's okay. We're going to go two miles anyway, Mm -hmm. or here, you can have my cloak anyway. Cause I know that's what I'm supposed to do. I know that's what God has called me to do, then I think that that will change our, that'll shift our perspective a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, if we, if we just focus more on being obedient to God and we don't yeah. worry about whether that person deserves it, of course right. they don't deserve it. I don't deserve anybody to do anything kind for me either. Mm-hmm. Nobody deserves it, but because of that mercy that we've been talking about, we should be able to offer that to other people. Yeah, that's good. Love your enemies, 43 through 48. You have heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? For not even the tax collectors do the same. And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. By the way, the Bible actually did not say you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but this is the way that they were living. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. All these other ones are, are, um, direct like quotes from scripture, mm-hmm. but this one is not. It says love your neighbor as yourself, but it does not say hate your enemy. But this is the way that they were living. Yeah. Um. So Jesus was reflecting that, and um. So God gives good gifts to those who love Him, but He also gives good gifts to those who hate Him. Common too. grace. When it's that common grace, mm-hmm. when He's talking about sending rain on the just and unjust, rain was such a good thing and such mm-hmm. a blessing in those days, and He sent it even for the unjust. And so we should do the same. Like mm-hmm. it doesn't matter what other people are doing. Um, and then this is where I I think uh, Jesus kind of ties it all into a pretty bow because He's talking about loving people. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, if we did that well, then all of these other things uh, would just resolve themselves. Oh, that's a really good like, point. Like, we wouldn't have to worry about any of these other things if we just loved people well. Mm, that's really good. That's really good. I think the ending of this, sometimes we've read so much, we're like, okay, we got to think about all these things that we might not catch verse 48. But this is the one that through this whole section really stood out to me because it says, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. And there's a couple different ways people take this. So I wanted to just get your thoughts. Do you think this is hyperbole like the other hyperbole used in this? I thought it was, but then when you put this little thing that you put in at the end, I think it's a quote from our good, is it RC? Mm -hmm. Then it kind of made me think differently. (laughs) So maybe you should read RC's quote. (laughs) So some people take that as hyperbole because we are still in the wisdom literature. But even Jen has talked about this. Yes. Yes. Where um, we we are called to holiness, Mm -hmm. to to grow, to be more like Jesus. And a lot of people, you know, will say that doesn't happen completely until we enter heaven. And I agree with that. We are not ever perfectly holy perfectly perfect until um, we meet Jesus in heaven. But I was reading an article by RC who, uh, spoiler alert, (laughs) our our baby is somewhat named 
in honor of R.C.'s <laughs> role. Same initials. Um, okay, so he is talking about this this whole idea because it's easy for us to just excuse it and be like, oh, well, that's hyperbole. And he's saying, I don't think you should do that. He says um, that this this translation of the word perfect, he said another way that it can be translated is complete. So you, therefore, must be complete as your heavenly father is complete. And he says that doesn't make it any lighter of a word because if we're talking about the heavenly father that way yeah oh yeah that's still asking a lot of us um and so he's telling us that that our heavenly father is perfectly complete so if we're to mirror god in that way we are to mirror him in his moral excellence as well as in other ways in fact the basic call to a person in this world is to be a reflection of the character of god that's what it means to be created in the image of god And long before the Sermon on the Mount, God required the people of Israel to reflect his character when he said to them, be holy, even though I am holy. And that is a quote from like he's mentioning here where he's calling Israel to be holy. So it's similar verbiage, which we've seen Mm -hmm. Matthew do similar verbiage to as was given to Uh Moses. Um, And then he he also adds this at the end. He's he asks what people think. Can someone be perfect? And someone asks him that. So can can a person be perfect? And this is what R.C. answers. He says, theoretically, the answer to that is yes, because the New Testament tells us that with every temptation we meet, God gives us a way to escape that temptation. He always gives us enough grace to overcome sin. So sin in the Christian life, I would say, is inevitable because of our weakness and because of the multitude of opportunities that we have to sin. But on a given occasion, it is never, ever necessary. So in that sense, theoretically, we could be perfect, though none of us is. Yeah. I mean, I think that goes along with like what you said, what Jen talks about a lot. I have heard to her say like, no, we'll never on, on this earth in this life, like we'll never be perfect, but we can die trying. Yeah. Uh-huh. And so I think, I think that's good. I think that's the exact same thing. Like we should strive for that every day. And I think it's a, an understanding of what, like what RC is talking about is this understanding of, you know, before sin entered the world with Adam and Eve, there was the ability to not sin. They chose sin. Now we are all born into sin. We were talking about this with the girls. The the we're going through theology and we're in the sin, doctrine of sin, which is like the hardest part for me yeah. to get through with yeah. the kids. But it is really helpful. And it was talking today that everybody is born with a sin nature, so we don't have an ability to not sin right, right. until we encounter Jesus, and then we have the ability to not sin, but we continue to sin. Yeah. And then once we get to heaven, that's when there will no longer be an ability to sin. Yeah. And yeah. so therefore, that's when that perfection hits. So thinking about it in those kind of terms helps a little bit, yeah. but I think it's, it's a lot, though. It is it's a lot. A it lot. is a lot to break down. But I think just remembering, don't let that be an excuse to you, like. Oh, everybody sins and oh, we're yeah. not going to be perfect yeah. until we, he's like RC is saying, like in every single moment of temptation, there's you an opportunity not to. not to. Yes. Yeah. That's crazy yeah. to think about. Yeah. Yeah. So this was kind of a lot again and kind of a heavy one. So yeah. <laughs> like <laughs> we encourage bit. you just like, just read over it, pro over it, see what the Lord highlights to you for this week. And, um, really just focus on kind of that that one thing where you feel like the Lord is trying to really teach you something and maybe use that to encourage someone else you're walking along with. So Casey, for next week, we're diving into one of our favorite things to talk about. The Lord's Prayer. Yay. Yay. So our memory verse for next week. 
I'm going to challenge you to memorize the whole Lord's Prayer. Yes. We didn't talk about this beforehand, but I'm going to do it. Okay, so I'm gonna my read girls it to memorized you. it. Yes. Pre-K yes. three You can do class, it. It so flows really it. easily. And if you already have it memorized in different translation, that's really cool. This is the ESV, and it starts in verse 9. It says, pray, like, pray then like this. And that's not, you don't have to memorize that part. <laughs> Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. If you've enjoyed this episode, please feel free to subscribe and leave a review on iTunes. And most importantly, share with a friend. The beautiful music that you've heard on this episode today is by the incredibly talented Katie Cobb.